I was thinking over the last few days, I don't even know when I actually wrote the notes down, but I was uh, recently just thinking about uh, where we are and uh, where we're where we need to go and how important it is to uh, to be on track or to stay on track. I thought about uh, years ago when uh, when the train was the major was a major means of com- uh, of travel uh, in in the United States. Uh, there are many times that. Uh, those trains passing through the mountains in Colorado will completely disappear going into clouds and uh, fog of different things. I remember driving through fog that was so dense you couldn't hardly see the front of your hood. Anybody ever been there? That's a scary feeling. But you know what? There are no trains that slow down during that season typically because they're on track. And those tracks help direct them where they need to go. And when a person's life is on track, they don't have to worry about the fogs of life that come and go and the different changes in climate and the things that happen, the conditions of life that change from day to day, moment to moment. One day it's clear, the next day it's overcast. And one day everything's going good, the next thing everything's going apart. When you're on track, when, you're, when your life is in tune with God, you don't have to worry about the weather. You don't have to worry about the changing conditions of life. Because God is going to make sure that you get through and when we keep our lives on track the key to everything we desire is found in that it doesn't matter what the conditions of life are uh, fog or no fog you can go on you don't have to worry you may well fear though when you are not on track what's coming next and uh, I want us to uh, I, I want us to be in tune with God and I want us to get our lives uh, and our hearts and our minds and our spirits uh, on track with what God is speaking and what God is doing. Uh, Wednesday night, a week ago, we had such a powerful prayer meeting around here. That needs to be a regular occurrence at this church. Amen. And those are the things that help keep us on track. And tonight, I want to begin, and I say begin because that's all I'm going to be able to do. I want to begin to talk to you and share with you some of the things that over the last few days the Lord has been uh, drawing me toward. And they're found in a passage of Scripture that many of you, when I give you my text, will not even turn because... You know it by heart. I still want you to turn. It's the 23rd Psalm. Everybody turn to the 23rd Psalm. And I want us to read it together in concert. I want us to read together out loud. And they're going to put it up on the screen. 
Psalms chapter 23. We're going to read the whole chapter. And if you don't have a Bible, shame on you. If you need a Bible, we have some in the back. We'll give to you free. But come to church with your Bible. Amen. Praise God. You don't even have an excuse anymore. If you've got a cell phone, you can download a free Bible. But that's not as good as this, this good book by itself. But anyway, enough chastising. Psalms chapter 23. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. What a powerful, powerful psalm and what a powerful word. The 23rd psalm is considered by most to be the beloved psalm. It is used on many occasions uh, as a source of comfort, of encouragement, and certainly strength. It is by far the most quoted passage of Scripture at any funeral that I have ever been involved in or ever heard ministered. At some point, maybe not the entirety of it, but at some point there is always a reference to the 23rd Psalm, especially the part where he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And in this psalm, there is truth that is found that should profoundly affect our lives if we understand its work. The thing that worries me about people and, and our familiarity with the Bible is that we become too familiar with some portions of Scripture. We become too familiar with John 3.16, For God so loved the world that it loses its effectiveness. We become so familiar with Acts 2.38, which we love to quote to people, that we lose some of its effectiveness. And we oftentimes go to the book of Psalms and we read the book of Psalms, but we do not absorb what that psalm is in reality saying to us. For here in this short passage of Scripture is a wellspring of so many things, power, strength, help, 
encouragement, faith, nourishment, and the list goes on. So much is packed into six verses, and I'm not sure how many words. I didn't take the time to count them, but there's not very many words in the 23rd Psalm, but so much is packed into it that you have to take it and dissect it piece by piece because every verse and every phrase is pregnant with meaning and you have to hang on to every one of those words because all of them speak a powerful, powerful message. In the 23rd Psalm, it contains the secret of a happy life. The 23rd Psalm not only contains the secret of a happy life, but it contains the secret of a happy death. Amen. A happy death. I've had to preside over a number of funerals in my ministry, and I can tell you that there are times when it is very difficult to stand behind this pulpit because of the person that I am having to speak in reference to. I know according to my understanding of the Scripture, that they had not lived their life in a way so that they would now be present before the Lord in the way they would want to be or certainly not in the way that their parents would hope to be. I had a mother tell me recently, I just want to know that my son is in heaven. And I would love to have told her that, but I don't know that that was the case and I'm not being judgmental but you you just you look at the life and you weigh it against the word of God and there're just some things you can't walk away from and deny but here in the 23rd psalm is the secret to a happy death if you want to know how to die happy to die with a smile on your face To die rejoicing, it's found here in the message of the 23rd Psalm. But more than that, it contains the secret of a happy eternity. Beyond this life, beyond today, beyond where we are right now. When you begin to put your hands around and your mind can put its grasp upon the message of the 23rd Psalm, you can understand and begin to know the secret of a happy eternity. It speaks to us of a passage of life. If you listen to the flow of the words, it speaks about a movement and a passage. A person goes from the valley to a chasm of death and then on to glory. And all of that is found in this wonderful Uh, Six verses of the 23rd Psalm. Here in the 23rd Psalm, David introduces us to one who can take care of our frailties. One who can take care of our foes, those who are against us, our enemy. And one who can take care of our future. In the 23rd Psalm... He deals with the need of man. And those needs are many. What do you and I need most in life? Well, if you read the 23rd Psalm, you'll find those things mentioned. We need joy. We need power. 
We need protection. We need supply, substance in our life. We need comfort. We need courage. We need guidance. We need uh, restoration at times. We need refreshment. And certainly we all need rest. And all of those things, all of those elements and even more are found in the 23rd Psalm. But above all of that, above it being the passage in secret to happy life and a happy death and a happy eternity and more than it just being a passage from different events in life and different experiences and even greater than David introducing us to one who cares for our frailties and will take care of our foes and is concerned and has prepared for our future. Perhaps above all of those things, this psalm introduces to us a way of thinking about God. Amen. A way of thinking of God. And when you begin to look at the 23rd psalm as more than just a funeral psalm, as more than just uh, a psalm that takes into account the past, the present, the future. When you take into consideration that this psalm deals with more than just my rest and my comfort and my courage and supplying and protecting and power and joy, when you understand that it is in reality a way of thinking, it is a way of looking at God, It is a way of understanding God. And when you begin to look at God in that perspective and you begin to think about God in that way, it transforms every area of your life and mine. That is what the psalm is about. So much of people's need in life is for healing. And we deal with that on a constant basis. People come to our church and their lives are broken, their lives are dysfunctional, lives are are in disrepair, they've made poor decisions, they've made poor choices and the church is looked to as a place to help steer them back to a right place. And, And so we deal with hurting people and even those of you that's been in the church for a long period of time, Even you and I at times need healing. We have hurtful things happen to us. We go through experiences in life where we don't understand why things happen. And we can't give an answer and a reason. There are times when God is silent and we pray earnestly but there's no answer to our prayer. And so we need that healing touch upon our life. There's times when all of us need God to just come down and wrap His arms around us and make us feel whole again. Now sometimes in life we, we get pulled by so many things and we are, we are pressed by so many things that we, we are just ragged when we come into the house of God. And, and we're torn by this responsibility and this expectation and these problems and these issues and dealing with people at work and dealing with people in the neighborhood and dealing with people on the freeway and dealing with people at the mall and dealing with families that sometimes 
you know, are, are less than perfect and dealing with our own failures. All that we really need is for somebody just to reach out and put their arms around us and say, all right, it's going to be okay. It, and you feel in that embrace a, a healing virtue that comes to your mind and to your spirit. I cannot tell you how many times personally I have come to this church and my mind and my spirit was so fractured and I, it was going in so many different directions only to step in here into the embrace of people's love and and to begin to worship and feel the embrace of God's Spirit. And all of a sudden, my mind has been wearied and troubled. I couldn't sleep last night. I, I was up most of the night worrying and praying about All of a sudden, there's a calmness that comes over me. Does there anybody else know what I'm talking about? Coming into the house of God and there being that wrapping of arms and a hole. You just, you feel like God just starting to pull everything thing back together all of us need that there are times when we stumble and fall and times when we make mistakes and there are times when we just get out of line the best of us amen there's times when our tongue gets ahead of our brain and we say things we shouldn't say and we post things on facebook we shouldn't post on facebook we share with thing, people things we should never share. And it's good to be able to come into the house of God. And through the ministry of His Spirit, there be a restoration where God picks us up, puts us back on our feet, turns us back in the right direction and said, Okay, now let's get it right this time. That's, that, there's nothing that you can exchange for that. There's nothing that can take the place of a need for restoration in life. Amen. Sometimes we just need God's breath to breathe upon us a new life. We need renewing. Ever, anybody ever just get mind weary? You just get punch drunk as they, you, you know, the old boxer that's been in the ring and he's just slugging and slinging and, and jabbing, but he, he's staggering around like a drunk man because he just punch drunk. He's been hit so many times he doesn't even know where his opponent is. He's just swinging at the air. That happens in life. We, we get so beaten down. It's good to know that there's a place. And more than that, there is one that we can come into the presence of that will bring a renewing into our lives. And He'll help us in, in those times. And He will put His arms around us. And things that are broken in our life, He begins to put back together. Amen. You ought to thank God. There's a God available like that tonight. Amen. He is the great healer. But the psalm, the 23rd psalm, I want you to think about it in this reference, that it is a way of thinking about God. It's a way of thinking of God. That when you read the psalm and you read through each one of those phrases, that you 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 allow that kind of thinking to take control of your life. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not asking you to memorize this verse because you can memorize it and still not get the effect of the message. 
What I want you to embrace is the thinking that this psalm invokes. I want you to do more than just put in your mind the words and make sure you've got all the verses in the right order. What I want you to do is allow this way of thinking, this way of understanding that, that will facilitate healing in your life. It will facilitate restoration. It will facilitate wholeness. It will facilitate a revival. That kind of thinking, let it become your mind. Amen. It is introduced to us in such a powerful way. Look at the great principles that God has ordained to govern man's life. And if we live according to these principles, our life will be whole and healthy And if we violate them, our lives will be sick and lacking. Here we see the very essence of what God wants to do in our lives. And it is to adjust our thinking. It is to adjust the mind and the soul from the negative influence of sin and fear and doubt and question to the thinking that produces peace and power, and renewing. That's what the 23rd Psalm in reality is. It is a way of thinking. It is a way of looking at God. The Lord is my shepherd. Amen. True healing in anybody's life means bringing that person into a right relationship with Not only the physical law of God, but the moral and spiritual law of God. And the 23rd Psalm helps bring that about. Here is a pattern of thinking that will bring salvation and wholeness and healing and restoration and renewal and strength and comfort and encouragement. It is a way of thinking. It is a pattern of thoughts. That when you get those in your mind, they will transform your life. Many have memorized the psalm, but the power is not in the memorization of the words, but in the thinking of the thoughts. Amen. Think the thought. Praise God. Turn to your neighbor and say, think the thought. Think the thought. And this is how it begins. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. All of the promises of the 23rd Psalm are rooted in that phrase right there. They are rooted in a spiritual relationship. And they begin with that relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd. Everybody say, my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, when he uses the word Lord here, he is referencing the term Jehovah. Jehovah was a compound name used in the Old Testament in reference to God. And it is translated in the New Testament, Jesus. Jehovah is translated into the New Testament by and through the name of Jesus. But in the Old Testament, they knew him as Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, 
Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sidkenu. It was a combination of three tenses of the verb to be. So when a person said he is the Lord, he was talking about one who was, one who is, and one who will be. So God, this one we're talking about, has the past covered, he has the present taken care of, and he has the future secured. That is the one that the psalmist is directing our mind toward. He said, this is where it begins when you understand and when you come into a relationship with this shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You and I need a friend like that. I, I said, you and I need a friend. We need somebody that can take care of our past. We need somebody that can help us in the present. We need somebody that's prepared for our future. And that's what the psalmist said. When you begin to understand that the Lord can be your director, He can be your shepherd, it will transform your life. You say, Brother Hughes, I know that. He is my shepherd. Amen. I want to make sure you understand He is your shepherd if you have been born again there's a lot of people that claim the promises of this psalm that it does not apply to there are people that have no relationship with him that it does not apply to the promises the protection the provision the courage the strength all of the supply of our needs all of those things are housed in this principal statement that he is my shepherd now listen to me he doesn't want to be a shepherd because a lot of people know him to be a shepherd. That means he's one among many. You pick and choose. You know, you know God your way. I know God my way. That's not, he doesn't want to be a shepherd. He doesn't want to be just one among many. Well, you know, you, you, you think about God in that way and I get close to God this way and somebody else, he said, that's not what I want you to know. I, I don't want you to know me as a shepherd. And more than that, he doesn't want you even to know him as the shepherd. Now the word the means specific. Not one among many, but set apart and separate. The only one. God doesn't want you just to know that he is the shepherd. He wants you to know him as your shepherd. He is my Shepherd, because the word my defines a personal relationship. When he becomes my shepherd, when he becomes my shepherd, the result is a spiritual reality that reads like this. I shall not want. Amen. I shall not want. I shall not lack. The Lord is my shepherd. And because he is my shepherd, I shall not want. His resources become my resources. His power becomes my power. His strength becomes my strength. 
His knowledge becomes my knowledge. His understanding becomes my understanding because He is my shepherd. I shall not want. I will never want for protection. I'll never want for, for, for friendship. I'll never want for courage. I'll never lack for strength. I will never lack joy. I'll never lack peace. I'll never lack understanding. If the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We have no need to worry about it as long as he is our shepherd. Because if he is my shepherd, everybody say my shepherd. My shepherd. Come on, say it. My shepherd. My shepherd. When he is my shepherd. Now, when I get to that place, this is more than just talking about a God or the God. This is talking about my God. And the only way I can talk about my God is to come into some kind of relationship with that God. I have to know him. And how do I get to know him? I get to know him by being born again of the water and of the spirit. I am I am born again from above, the scripture says. What he is actually referencing here is what was to come in our time, and we call it the new birth experience. And so this, this protection, this power, all of the benefits, all of the blessings of the 23rd Psalm, all of the assurances that are there, all of the things that God said are done, are taken care of, are supplied, are provided for, all of those things are housed in the relationship that I have with Him. And it begins when I am born again. Amen. Now what does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus came to the Lord one day and he said, I, I, I want to know what I need to do. I, I, I've, I've heard you teach and, and you're a good teacher. You're a great prophet evidently you're a man sent from God and the Lord stopped him and he began to talk to him about being born again and Nicodemus was confused he said how can this be I how am I going to go back into my mother's womb I'm not, I'm an old man how can that happen and he said oh you misunderstand what I'm talking about is you have to be born again of the water I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth I'm talking about a spiritual experience. And he makes a statement. He said, marvel not that I say unto ye, you must be born again. The word in the Greek is plural. He was not talking just about Nicodemus. He was talking about every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that would come from that point forward Every man, every woman must be born again. That's the root. That's the door. That's the way that we get in access to all of the blessings that are talked about in the 23rd Psalm. Don't let anybody ever tell you that it's not important, that the message of salvation is not important. You say, Brother Hughes, why are you saying that? Most of us here tonight have experienced the new birth. I'm going to tell you why I'm saying that. Because in our world right now, there is a steady deterioration and a steady erosion of 
people believing that they have to change in any measure to know God. That you can think about God and it doesn't matter how you live. The Bible tells me that the only way I can know Him in the power of salvation is when I am born again of the water and of the Spirit. Jesus stood up in the book of Acts or John chapter 7 and in the midst of a great feast where they were coming and they were going through all of the feast and all of the preparations of that feast, He stood up amidst all of those men and He declared something that we must remind ourselves of. And he said in the last day, that great day of the feast, John chapter 7 and 37, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit which they that believe on Him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. But we do know there came a day when He was glorified, when He was taken up. And when He ascended, He said, Go tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The promise that I made in the temple, the promise that I made about the Holy Ghost is about to come. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. It sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And when the men came from the city and said, What is this that we hear? Peter began to preach to them what Jesus had already been telling them. He preached to them Jesus and when he got to a certain point in his preaching, they stopped him and cried out, Tell me, brethren. What must we do to be saved? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Don't let anybody tell you that message isn't important. Because that's the root of Psalms 23. You have to know the shepherd. And the only way you're going to know the shepherd is to be born again of the water and of the spirit. The new birth experience. Do you know him tonight in that capacity? Have you been born again? Have you been to that water and been baptized? Amen. Most of you have. Most of you have. Amen. But don't let anybody ever downplay the importance of the message of salvation. It still takes water and spirit to be saved. Amen. You say, well, Brother Hughes, I believe I'm saved. No, not according to Scripture. That's where it begins, but that's not salvation. He said that the Holy Ghost was going to come on them that believe. Let me read it to you again. 
But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. And how did they receive it? Well, in Acts 2, they spoke with tongues. In Acts chapter 8, something happened. It doesn't say exactly. But whatever happened was so powerful that Simon the sorcerer, when he saw Peter lay his hands on those people in Samaria that had received the Holy Ghost, something happened visibly there because Simon said, Peter, give me this power that you have that when I lay my hands on people, something like that happened. Tell me, if it wasn't something of a spiritual nature, why would he desire? If it was just verb, if you, you can believe and never open your mouth. If believing is all that it takes. If just believing is all it takes to be saved, then why would, why would Simon, the sorcerer who had, who had bewitched people all of his life and used all kind of tricks when he saw the power of God displayed in their life, there had to be some kind of evidence. There had to be some kind of proof. Go to Acts chapter 10 and in Cornelius' house, a man, a good man, a Gentile, he began to, to, to hear the Lord speak to him and said, I want you to call uh, Peter and he's going to come and tell you words whereby you shall be saved. And what did he do? Go read Acts chapter 10. He began to preach unto them Jesus. He began to talk to them about the same thing he had talked about those other people. And as he began to preach to them about Jesus, the Bible said the Holy Ghost fell on them as it had on us at the beginning. Some of you look like you don't know if that's really in there. Well, let me read it to you. Acts chapter 10 verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Amen. You must be born again. He said, I'm going to send a man that's going to tell you words whereby you shall be saved. Amen. Amen. I'm trying to. Take care of my time tonight. But I want you to understand the Lord is, He hasn't changed His mind about that. John chapter, or Acts chapter 19, we meet some men who were John's disciples, John the Baptist. And they had, they had been a long time. I, I don't know how long, how many years from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 19, but it was a number of about 25 years maybe at, at some estimation that they came across these men who were called John's disciples. They had been baptized unto repentance. That's all John could do. He just baptized them. He took them down in water, immersed them. He said, I now baptize you unto repentance. 
And then he got up and he said and pointed to Jesus. He said, now that's the one that's coming. That's the one you need to follow. I must decrease. He must increase. And now here's some of his followers. Some many years later, and there are these new converts, these men who have been born again, and they come and Apollos comes into Corinth, and Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Now, I'm not real smart, but I do understand that phrase, since you believed. Evidently, there were some that uh, perhaps thought otherwise, but Paul or Paul wanted to make sure that they understand that this is an evidence of those who believe. This is a fruit. This is a result of those who believe. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said, we haven't even as much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. We don't even know what you're talking about. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they, his disciples, heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. There's a world telling us that that message doesn't matter anymore. But I'm telling you that the root of the 23rd Psalm and the root of power and restoration and healing and renewal in any of our lives is rooted in that relationship of the new birth. Amen. Amen. You must be born again. Praise God. And then it opens a door. And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. A door, a panorama of things that just come into our life because of that experience of the new birth. I want to ask you tonight, have you been to Jesus for that cleansing flood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Amen. The old songwriter said something about you must be born again. You must have that fire and Holy Ghost. That burning thing that keeps the prayer wheel turning. Oh, you've got to have it. You must be born again. Why? Because everything that God promised is contained in that new birth experience. Let's stand together.